Hey, it's a FinTech Newscast. My name's John, and with me, as always, is Steve. How are you doing? John, 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 John. I am excellent. How are things with you, my friend? Good, good. Hey, if they wrote a book about you, what would it be called? Oh, my God. It would be called uh, Brazen, the Steve story. Boy, you are ready with that. Just I, I, it seems like you've been thinking about that a lot. Been thinking about like it for the movie, the the spin-off, the TV show, right? I would have the poster. I have the um, Ryan Gosling is would, would play me. It's it's a whole thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I mentioned that because the new Walter Isaacson book on uh, Elon Musk just came out. A kind of a few little excerpt stories I, I just saw. This guy really rushes forward, which has been like. You know, he mentioned some good things, but uh, also, you know, you kind of wreck things along the way, which we saw most uh, uh, openly with Twitter, I guess. I think a, a lot of things, yeah, regarding uh, like his ketamine use, the whole thing with Russia and Starlink sort of providing or failing to provide rather access to the Internet on, on the battlefield right. in the Ukraine. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I, I Although with, with all that, I have to say that I'd rather read a few excerpts here and there and hear just somebody talking about it than actually read the book. I'm not reading a 700 page book on Elon Musk. Sorry, Walter. It's 700 pages? It's 690 something. Functionally 700 oh. pages. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, you could try the audio book to help you get to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Although those are so expensive now, they're about $40, like 35, 40 bucks for, for an audio book. Oh, okay. Okay. Excerpts. Excerpts in the news. Well, Excerpt, you know, you, yeah. you know, somebody I would read a, a 700 page biography on is our, our guest we have. We're lucky to have this week, Matt Golis, the founder and CEO of Stretch Bill. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, just just curious, uh, separate from everything else you're doing, uh, what what do you think about uh, this Elon Musk thing and uh, the the biography coming out? Well, I, I'll tell you, I think it's interesting because um, I think he has sort of been the example of the workaholic movement uh, that it seems like a lot of other CEOs are leveraging to to kind of uh, justify bringing. Uh, their teams back more than just a couple of days per week. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting aspect of, of uh, who he is as a person. And it obviously going back even prior to, to PayPal. Um, the other thing I think that's interesting that I was just reading about was um, apparently this bombshell interaction that he had with Bill Gates. Uh, and I haven't had a chance, obviously, to read the book yet, but, um, but that sounds pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it seems, sounds like there's some beef between those guys. Sounds like it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, tell us about uh, Stretch Bill and what you guys do. So Stretch Bill is bringing a new love. Love the name, approach. by the way. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, it's interesting. I um, I'm one of these people. I think that just goes with very literal uh, company names. Um, you know, my my first company was uh, Rent Payment, which was you know paying your rent online, uh, primarily with a credit card. Um, I actually launched another venture uh, that unfortunately was a casualty of the pandemic called Give Game, which was gamifying giving, uh, making it fun to give to nonprofits. Um, and now this venture is much, much more in my wheelhouse of, of integrated payments uh, focused on specific vertical markets. Uh, and that company, of course, is Stretch Bill. Um, and what we're looking to do is to make it easy for people to stretch specific bills that tend to uh, be higher ticket payments like vacation rentals and make it easy for them to pay it right out of their bank account 
but within a very relatively short period of time. So if it's a monthly bill, they would pay it over four weeks. If it's something like a vacation rental booking, they could pay it over six to 10 weeks. Um, but there's some things that we're doing with it that make it quite different from uh, what you would imagine with traditional buy now, pay later, which we can get into. Wait, wait vacation rental payments and, and like your regular rent as well? Yeah. So we're starting, actually, we're launching later this month, uh, actually starting in the vacation rental market. And there's a number of reasons for that. So what we're talking about with those payments are um, not the types of bookings that you would do on, a, let's say, an Airbnb or a Verbo, but rather when you book directly with a property management company on their website. So you think about major leisure travel destinations like, let's say, Hilton Head or uh, in Lake Tahoe uh, or uh, other parts, uh, these beach destinations, what we offer is a way when people are booking, let's say six to eight months in advance, that the guests can actually pay instead of in a lump sum with their credit card, which is the most popular method of booking online, to actually pay it in four installments. But again, making all four payments over a six to 10 week period so that they actually have paid in full before arrival. Uh, and so we're, we're offering it as a completely new alternative payment method that's never existed. And it's something that just from a macro perspective uh, is coming at a good time considering inflation, uh, the fact that uh, particularly for uh, millennials, Gen Z, and really all generations, um, folks are having a harder time having access to credit uh, to actually make a full payment. And in fact, many people as you might imagine, are carrying balances on those credit cards, which means they're paying significant interest and fees uh, when they don't pay them off in full. So in a lot of ways, what Stretch Bill is doing is actually, in a way, kind of protecting consumers from themselves. Um, it's, it's providing a mechanism for them to make a payment, but doing it, again, in four installments over a six to 10 week period. Yeah, we've seen all kinds of uh, variations on, on buy now, pay later. Uh, and and some of them have been criticized for getting people into more trouble, <laughs> but it sounds right. like uh, you're you're helping people with uh, a really essential payment, a, a rent thing, and and I'm pretty sure we haven't seen anything like that before. Well, I guess your your past history, you have a lot of experience with uh, with uh, the rental market, so this was kind of a, mm -hmm. a natural evolution of of the next thing that would help this market. Is, is that Absol how you got Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, so starting with rent payment, um, which was in the apartments market, um, I've got experience for, through the company AppStone that I co-founded, uh, everything from the apartments market to the homeowners association market, to the self-storage market, to the vacation rental market, uh, to other types of new, you might say, real estate related verticals, things like daycares and senior living and student housing. All of these markets are really ripe for stretch bill. Uh, it, the thing that makes the vacation rental market a bit unique though, is a couple of things. So firstly, I mean, versus a monthly bill, where let's say you could pay it over a series of weeks, but before the next bill is due, when you think about a vacation rental, uh, you're actually making a booking and paying for it in advance of you effectively receiving the good or service, right? Um, when you actually come for the stay. So with Stretch Bill, uh, when people otherwise would have to make that full payment with a credit card, by making four installments, what we're doing is we're giving the consumer this flexibility we're also helping the property manager not have to pay the credit card fees, 
have the risk of a chargeback or dispute and naturally attracting a, a renter they may not have gotten had they only offered just traditional uh, credit or debit card payment. So there's a lot of benefits to the property manager to offer it. Uh, the way we actually um, generate revenue is we charge a one-time convenience fee. So when they book, uh, the renter will pay a fee based upon if they want to pay every two weeks or every three weeks for that installment. But the key is, is that we offer this service only when all four payments can be made before arrival. Why that's so important is that the property manager effectively still has the leverage such that if one of the installments doesn't go through their bank account successfully, that effectively the, the booking can still be canceled and the property manager can still rent out the property to someone else. And that's why this is such a great tool when you have a larger window of time between when someone books and when someone arrives uh, to pay this way. Because again, people generally want flexibility. I mean, we're talking about a $1,500 average ticket. It's not like a $200 retail purchase like you, you see with um, much of buy now, pay later. So the larger the ticket, the more there's a demand on the consumer side to, to split it into multiple transactions. Does Go the ahead. customer get all their, their money back if they can't make that last payment? Exactly. They typically do because it ultimately comes down to the cancellation policy that is in the lease when they um, oh, if are there's booked. Some property manager fee. If there's a, pro like that, well, then, or if or... they get, let's say, all their money back, if they cancel by a certain time, then yes, we would refund the guest. If the cancellation policy is that the renter doesn't get any money back, let's say right after they book, uh, then in that case, we may actually refund the property manager. But in, in the majority of cases, we anticipate we would be refunding the guest because if you think about it, in most cases, the, the, it's going to be the second installment. If one does decline where they don't have the money in their checking account to pay it, it's typically going to be the second installment, just like what you find with major buy now, pay later providers. Um, that's usually the one that would default on the repayment. And so oh, if you think oh, about it. Well before it, the. Well, well, well before the arrival. So it's and, like a, like if you cancel within 24 hours at a restaurant or a, a hotel or something. Okay. Yes, so relatively speaking. That. That's exactly right. Because relatively speaking, you know, if they're not arriving, let's say for four, six, eight, even 10 months away, um, two weeks is not going to make a huge difference. But again, what it's doing is it's given that consumer the cash flow flexibility to pay uh, it, over time rather than having to come up with the money at once. Um, the other interesting use case, and this is something that we've just learned just from getting feedback from um, some of the initial property management customers that want to work with us, is that this could be a wonderful tool when you have a case of where you have multiple parties who are actually all uh, pitching in to pay for the booking. So you think about like a family reunion where you're going to split it, let's say, multiple ways. Um, the way it typically happens today is one person who books has to pay the whole thing. And then maybe the other people in the party are just Venmoing each other, uh, you know, the repayment for their pro rata. Um, so imagine this type of technology being used where the first party could pay the first installment, but then it's almost like you can just pass the baton to the next person in your party. Make sure to put uh, Matt early because you know that guy. <laughs> you know what? The person who's the most responsible is probably going to be the first one. We should you know, be the last one. And Uncle Larry, who you know needs all the time he can get to come up with <laughs> that oh, man. portion. We could, I, we could put him as Steve, the fourth With Steve, you want to see the cash in his hand. You've got, uh, you've got to see the cash. It's so th yeah, this yeah. basically sounds like like splitwise, but for 
the rental or real estate market, which is pretty interesting. But I'm 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 so curious, Tom. Um, as a as a user of this, um, why wouldn't I say put a vacation that I'm going to go with my family on? Say I'm going to go to Tahoe or something for for a weekend. Right. Why wouldn't yep. I put that on on BNPL or Klarna as opposed to um, using stress rail? Well, you certainly you certainly can. You certainly can. And and there's actually other providers uh, who actually will allow you to pay that in installments over time, which now if you're talking about a weekend or something that's only a couple of weeks away, um, the issue is, is that you're going to be hit with interest fees, late fees, um, a variety of costs if you do not pay that off quickly, right? And that's sort of the trap that we find that a lot of consumers could fall into. And again, considering inflation and the macro economy right now, um, more people are carrying balances on their credit cards than ever before. Um, so as a percentage of the all of consumers, I mean, there's fewer people that are paying it off in full the way they're used to be. So so, and that's actually the one of the interesting way things about the buy not pay later as an industry that's really pivoted uh, over the last few years. So as many people know, a lot of these companies provided a service to retailers where the retailers were paying a, effectively a commission to help make a sale uh, by giving the consumer the flexibility of paying over time. And, and in that model, there wasn't much of a fee burden on the consumer side. But then what happened was consumers decided, hey, I want to use this buy now, pay later platform no matter where I shop. So now all of a sudden, the buy now, pay later provider didn't have a relationship with a specific retailer. And, and so in doing so, they weren't making the revenue on the retailer side. They had to shift all of the revenue burden, so to speak, onto the consumer. And that's why, you know, when you use certain platforms, uh, you'll find that immediately you're, you're getting a prompt that says you're going to pay a 20 percent uh, APR uh, interest rate um, until you pay this off in full. And so for a lot of these companies, I mean, the issue is from a consumer perspe perspective is there's no incentive for them to get you to pay these things off quickly because they make money by, by virtue of you not paying them off quickly. Mm. And that kind of comes back to the whole idea of, you know, this is kind of helping consumers uh, pay things in a very prompt manner where the exposure of costs to them is just, in our case, the one-time convenience fee that we charge at booking. And so once again, that's why the vacation rental market is such a, is such a great market for this because you will find many cases where the booking window can average six to seven months uh, in certain uh, vacation destinations. Uh, you also have a high percentage of, of people that otherwise would have paid with credit cards. So again, that can significantly save uh, the fees that the property manager would have otherwise paid. Um, and then you're actually offering a product that attracts, if you think of kind of a higher quality uh, renter, uh, because it ultimately has to be someone who has the financial wherewithal to be able to pay the entire booking off in six to 10 weeks. So you're not going to attract the type of person who maybe is still carrying a balance on their card for a year, 18 months later. And that's really important to property managers because property managers First and foremost, they want return guests. They want you when you check out, do you want to rent the same place next summer? Um, and if you're still paying for the place that you rented this year, it's really hard for you to commit to booking the same place the next summer, right? So, so with stretch bill, people aren't coming home to debt after they've taken uh, that trip. So to make a long story short, vacation rentals is where we see the most opportunity in the short term. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, this platform absolutely works in a variety of other markets uh, that are prop tech related, I would say, um, because you still have that dynamic of large ticket, 
flexibility to pay over time. Um, and in many cases, uh, reasons why the property manager wants the consumer uh, to have that flexibility, particularly if they're not sensitive to how quickly they're going to get uh, the money. So we, we have seen uh, essentially um, a, a wave of defaults for things like Apple Pay. I know that also um, even mm -hmm. BNPL companies like Klarna and Afterpay have also increased the rates of, of default. Um, yep. Have you seen any, any change in customer be behavior for this space as well or no? Well, so first off, I mean, we are uh, going to be launching uh, with our first customers in the in the next two weeks. So, mm -hmm. uh, so we don't have a lot of uh, data history. Wait, wait, so will... two weeks? Wait, didn't you just start this uh, this year? Yeah. So, so we you, you literally, quick, Matt. Well, yeah, I know we're <laughs> we're we're moving really quickly because I'll tell you the the macro environment right now is is the best it's ever going to be. Um, obviously, between inflation and. Um, and just consumer behavior uh, being what it is, particularly coming out of COVID. So, uh, you know, there's a number of, of different reports that say, you know, buy now, pay later per, uh, adoption as a choice for consumers was only about 15 to 20% pre-COVID. Now you look at people under the age of 30 and 70% have tried out at least one platform. So this acceptance of it being a way to pay where, you know, these are not just people who have to use uh, this type of paying and installments option is a lot of people want to do it because I think they understand that if I did pay that, let's say with a card, now I am going to be subject to lots of fees. And I know myself, I know I may not pay it off in full. So, you know, in a lot of ways, this is just a safer way for consumers to know that they can pay for something, but again, pay it off in a very short period of time. And, and coming back to your point about defaults, I mean, one of the one of the issues I think with uh, a lot of the negativity with just the, the the traditional buy now pay later business model is that there's really kind of three legs of the stool of cost to uh, a buy now pay later provider. So one is of course uh, the customer acquisition cost and, and how much they have to offer to the merchant or or somehow uh, you know get the consumer to to choose that option. Uh, the second is the cost of capital, which as you might imagine with interest rates being high. Is, is the highest it's probably been in 20 plus years. So um, you're looking at cost of capital that might range in the 15, even 20% annualized type range. And then finally, the default rate. And when you add those three up, it's a case where in certain cases, these companies can't really make money, particularly in this high interest rate environment. So the last aspect to what Stretch Bill does that is very different from buy now, pay later is in my example of the vacation rental where after the first installment, um, the buy now pay later provider would, would if they were to be in this market, which thankfully they're not for our, for our sake, um, they would advance the entire amount to the property manager. What we're doing is we're actually doing this on a B to B and then to C basis in that we actually sign up the property managers directly. So they have first and foremost a relationship with us. And in working with us, we're not actually advancing the payment to the property manager after the first payment, but rather we're actually processing the four installments and only after all four are successful are we actually doing the payout then six or even 10 weeks from booking. And the reason why, this is the thing that is a real head scratcher for people who, who don't understand this industry as, as much, is that you know the property managers are more than willing to do that because again, for them, saving the credit card fees, saving the risk of chargeback and disputes, attracting new renters, 
Um, knowing that it's still six to 10 months before um, the person's actually going to arrive for the trip. So if something was to go wrong, they can always rent it out with plenty of time to someone else. Um, it's, it's a case where we don't have to have the cost of capital because we're not having to advance money. I mean, we're effectively not taking on any risk because our platform contacts the property manager. If someone doesn't pay an installment to cancel the booking and rent it out to someone else, They've got real-time access to know as each installment goes through successfully when they're going to get their payout. So, so in that sense, we're not dealing with collections from consumers. Uh, you know, we're just making it simpler and easier for people to split these payments um, before they receive that product or service. All right. My real question is, do you take Bitcoin? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> you should. You know, I'm always w wondering about uh, this kind of business with there's like a chicken and egg thing where you need enough property managers to get uh, uh, customers interested in using it, and you you need yep. to have customers so that property managers will bother setting it up. Uh, how how yes. are you going about yeah. it this time? Yeah. So in this case, um, I will say that we are absolutely going to use a very similar playbook to what I did uh, with my last company with, with the AppStone, which is that as much as I love, uh, and we will for quite a while still uh, sell directly to a number of property management companies, a key part to our success to scale quickly is to actually integrate with major um, software platforms. So property management software platforms, booking platforms, um, it could be um, other payment processors, really other technology providers who have relationships with property management companies. Is and that one... easy to do? How do you, how do you get in there? <laughs> well, it, I'll tell you, it's um, it's something that I, that we're fortunate in that you know, having been in this industry now for the last fifteen plus years, um, you know, we we know most of the major players and the folks that we need to work with. But to mm -hmm. motivate them to obviously encourage their customers who use their technology to work with Stretchbill. Uh, is we typically will structure a revenue share where, you know, it's not too dissimilar if you think about it in the credit card merchant acquiring world where, you know, um, ISOs will, for instance, you know, get some type of residual for helping sell uh, merchants processing um, to the end merchant. Uh, very similarly, we're just going to be selling through a number of different technology providers who whose customers are in markets like vacation rentals. Um, and by them bringing their customers to stretch bill, you know, we'll share in a in basically a piece of the revenue that we get from every transaction. Because to your point, I mean, it takes a lot of volume uh, to really build you know a big business with this. And so, um, by working through those integrated partners, uh, we will certainly get to scale much quicker. So the short answer is uh, have twenty years of experience in the market and know how to <laughs> to get things done and <laughs> have the right connections part. and and then it gets it gets a, a little bit easier that way. Um, you know how did how did you get things uh, moving so quick? Uh, it says like, yeah. you started in May of this year and your website yeah. looks like you know you're an old time tech company or <laughs> not old time but you know like it's a, a very professional nicely done web website. Uh, how did you guys? Uh, uh, get this done so quick? Well, I will say from a kind of a product marketing perspective, I mean, this is something that, you know, I've been thinking about for, for, I would say almost nine to 12 months. So, so a lot of aspects of what we're doing and how we're going to do it and how we're going to tackle the market. I mean, those have actually been in the works for quite some time. Um, but from a, a platform perspective, uh, I've been fortunate enough that we have a, a, a dev development team who has quite a bit of experience in other types of fintech uh, integrations. 
Uh, we're doing some unique things because again, we're not offering um, debit or credit as the repayment mechanism. It's only by bank transfer. So we're doing some really kind of cool things around uh, bank, bank transfer, like the EFT, like, like yeah, ACH payment. For right, the right, right. So you don't have those fees. Hmm. Right, exactly. Right, and right. so that's okay. obviously the key to this, right? So we keep our costs of processing at a minimum so that we can keep the costs as low as possible to the consumer. But the other thing that's interesting about it is, is that it, it, a lot of the advances that have happened with um, people authenticating by logging directly into their online banking and now being able to actually tokenize that credential and reusing it three more times where we never have to ask the consumer for their payment method or maintaining a payment profile. We simply use the one that they authenticated with when they signed up to book that property and we use it three more times. And then we've got a way to escrow those installments in an account that then upon all four installments going through successfully, we can initiate the payout to the property manager. So that's sort of the magic uh, from a platform perspective. And, and like I was saying, what, what we know will, will be a great solution for vacation rentals. We've already identified uh, a number of other real estate verticals that it just makes a ton of sense. And quite honestly, you know, are similarly very greenfield opportunities for us too. So, so you know, I, I would say if the if the addressable market was just vacation rentals, um, it wouldn't be quite as exciting because, to your point, it takes a lot of volume and a lot of transactions. And and um, and considering the amount of bookings that happen through property managers versus on the marketplace sites like Verbo and Airbnb, um, it's not a super massive market. But when you look at the totality of again apartments, HOAs. Uh, daycare, senior living, and, and some other markets that we're looking at, um, there's a tremendous opportunity for this type of service. Steve thought it was for yoga payments uh, when he first <laughs> saw the name. So it was old. Stretchville. Dog, dog, yes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, the big industry event and in vacation uh, in the vacation rental world is actually coming up next month in Orlando, uh, the VRMA annual conference. And uh, we may have a... Uh, kind of a, a tchotchke giveaway at that event, not too far off from what Steve suggested. <laughs> oh, I kind of like that, actually. That sounds, sounds really interesting. Uh, yoga mat. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yoga mat yeah. That's too big, yeah. Stretch build yeah. yoga mat. Yeah. So, so Matt, you you actually, this is in your your first go, as, as you mentioned. You were with a, a company that was either acquired uh, by Yapson or was part of Yapson. Can you sort of give us your um, uh, a high-level view of your career and how you ended up um, uh, founding Stretch Bill? Yeah. Um, so, so my career actually goes back to um, starting in very early e-commerce uh, consulting, actually with Netscape Communications, um, which really goes back uh, to the mid to late 90s. And it, and it was through doing some consulting work there that I got the inspiration to start rent payment. Um, I was working with one of the earliest online bill payment platforms that was using a credit card gateway called CyberCash, one of the first credit card gateways um, to process bill payments it made me realize that the value of the consumer was the size of the ticket. Most people's largest ticket bill is their rent and hence rent payment was born. Um, we actually merged with another company called Yapstone after the dot-com crash. Um, we both had customers and some great technology and literally were bootstrapped amazingly enough for 10 years um, until uh, we raised a, a significant round in 2010 on the heels of winning a really big contract, specifically in the vacation rental market, ironically enough. So, um, so yeah, so my my um, my background has been very much in payments, very much in prop tech, um, but also the type of person that is very much thinking about the value 
in going deep in the vertical, most payments people that you talk to are very horizontally minded. You know, they're always looking at how you can just put out a platform and all different types of merchants can use something. But um, I kind of come from the school of thought that when you go deep in the vertical, you really understand the unique re requirements for that market. You can provide a really differentiated product and, and, you know, and ultimately stand on that technology differentiating to, to obviously win customers and keep customers. And so in a lot of ways, I mean, Stretchbill is sort of the, the next, you know, evolution in payments really for some of these markets that uh, I have worked in for a long time. Um, it's just that, you know, particularly coming out of the pandemic, the, the interest for installment-based payment flexibility is, is really the greatest it's ever been. And so having a turnkey way for these uh, property management companies to take advantage of that is just something that, you know, there's been a void in the market for that. And so uh, that's what we're hoping to provide. And, um, and so far, the response from the different property managers we've talked about that know this is coming uh, has been really super strong. And, um, you know, we're super excited just to, uh, to get up and running. Yeah, coming out uh, real soon. You must be well. You sound very excited. I, I love the energy, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, really good. Uh, uh, and certainly something that uh, uh, anyone that's starting their own company and and um, you know is is uh, growing something that didn't exist before. You know, you need that uh, that energy uh, uh, for sure. Uh, what are the things uh, that you've seen? that uh, you would recommend to people starting out their own company in fintech or or technology or, or mistakes that you see, you know, happening? You're like, ah, you know, I wish people knew this. Oh, there's, oh my gosh, there's so many. I mean, I've obviously made so many mistakes over time myself um, that I'd love to help people not make some of the same mistakes. Um, I, you know, I would say one of the biggest things that I've seen um, some early startups do, and, and this happens even post-funding even, not just pre-funding, um, but, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, the founder in particular should absolutely be the one who makes, you know, the first 10, 20 sales, right? The, the first customers that use oh, the platform, yeah. it's extremely important. One thing that I have seen um, with some other uh, startup founders is this need to immediately hire like uh, an outside head of revenue or some type of sales leader um, who then is maybe responsible for hiring junior sales execs. And, you know, it's one of these things where no one should tell the story as, as passionately and as well as the founder. And if the founder needs to rely on someone else to, to just convince those first 10, 20 customers, however many you need to kind of prove the product market fit, um, I just feel like those are going to be some of the most difficult businesses um, to really get off the ground um, because, you know, number one, you, you know, you got to save every dollar, right. When you're, uh, when you're just getting started before you found that product market fit. Uh, and then just two, I think it just kind of sets a, a cultural expectation that, okay, I pay someone else to do that instead of that's just part of who we are. You know, it's kind of like the the adage, you know, everyone's in sales, right? Um, when you're just trying yeah, to get something especially off the when ground. you're starting out, yeah, exactly. So, so early on, I think that's actually a really important thing that that um, that founders sometimes forget about because sometimes people self-identify as, well, I'm I'm more technical and therefore, you know, I can't do that. But I'll tell you, I have found in my career that some of the best salespeople are extremely technical because you know they do come, they are much more authentic. Um, you know, they are very transparent about 
if it works or it doesn't work in many cases. And so I, I, I just hate to see it when people sell themselves short when they really are a technology, a designer, a product type person, uh, but they don't feel confident necessarily making you know the first few uh, customer sales because you know they're not just selling customers, right? They're selling investors. They're selling uh, and convincing people to join their board of advisors. Um, you know, there's, they're always in sales mode, even if they don't consider themselves in sales, right? So, um, so I do think that that's one thing that um, it's super important that people understand that, you know, we're all in it together. It's all hands on deck. And, um, you know, we need everyone to contribute in any way that's needed at that time, right? Until And, and everyone understands the value. Point. Of what, of what you guys are right. doing, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, it, it's a part of everyone. You should be able to, the classic adage, you know, you can ask anyone in the company and everyone gives you the same answer of what the company does and kind of what that's the culture is like. That's a great test, and, yeah. And it really uh, it really does hold true. And and uh, saying that culture early on is is super important. Now, you you used to live in uh, Silicon Valley in, in the area yes, here where uh, technology, uh, investments, uh, lots of money. Uh, mm-hmm. Now you've moved out to... <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. Uh, how has yes. that affected how you guys uh, have started up, have run? What, what's the difference between being based there versus here in, in the Valley? Yeah, so it is quite different. So so just about my personal background a bit. So I am actually a Columbus native, although to your point, uh, I was in the Bay Area for almost 20 years. So um, just moved uh, back to Columbus about five years ago. Um uh, for a variety of reasons, um, you know, obviously versus when I went out to California uh, just a couple of years out of school and now coming back, you know, married with kids, um, you know, just the from the kind of the personal quality of life perspective, there are reasons that, you know, we were potentially looking to make a move. But but from a standpoint of a professional career, um, you know, moving back when I did, uh, if I would have done it five years earlier, it probably would have been more difficult because at this point in time um, in the Midwest and specifically Columbus, it's uh, the, the infrastructure supporting startups, um, you know, being able to meet other people who are working on great ideas, uh, obviously met other boomerangs uh, who, like me, were out in Silicon Valley that have chosen to move back. And so it's become a lot easier uh, from the standpoint of finding like-minded folks that are getting other ideas off the ground. The one thing about being Columbus, uh, well, two things. One is when I left, it was about a million people. Now it's almost 2 million people. People don't realize how huge Columbus is. Um, it's grown tremendously in the last 20 so years. Uh, the other thing is, is that you know payments and FinTech is actually not a big focus from an industry perspective. So some of the biggest industries in, in Columbus specifically happen to be healthcare, um, AI, uh, there's robotics startups, um, there's uh, insurance is huge, nationwide insurance is based here. Um, so there's a lot of people that come from those industries and there's a, a great pool of talent in your, if you're in those markets where it's been a challenge where there aren't as many financial folks uh, in fintech in Columbus. There are some for sure, but um, but it's been a case where I'm, I find myself still reaching out uh, through networks that I tend to have mostly on the West Coast um, when I've needed certain services. Whether they Welcome be to the podcast, legal. Matt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. It's been, um, it's definitely been something where um, I'm very thankful for having a lot of the relationships that I still have with folks, particularly in Silicon Valley. Um, but just from a day-to-day perspective, uh, you know, it's been tremendous. I mean, I'm actually uh, doing this podcast from our office. Uh, we're in a really great um, kind of an incubator type space uh, where we've got really low rent, uh, got great access to everything we need uh, to, to get the company off the ground. 
Um, Most of the team is in, of in the office. Are you guys geographically? Yeah, yeah no, we, 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 no, we are. Uh, most of the advisory board folks that, um, that I've brought on, ironically enough, and very thankfully, um, Klarna's U.S. operation was actually based in Columbus. Um, so oh, there's wow. some ex-folks who are early there that um, have actually joined uh, Stretchville's advisory board. So they've been great local uh references. Um, but from a, a team perspective, uh, like most of our development team, it is actually uh, offshore effectively, but uh, they're all folks that um, I talk to every day on Zoom, um, got a great relationship. Um, and so from that perspective, it's, it's uh, we, we, yes, we do have a, a bit of a remote team, but this is also a case where you know, there's a lot of potential to scale this uh, without having to have a significant um, number of people, right? It's just, it, it really is a platform play. It's it's a matter of educating a market about something that hasn't existed, that that we know that there's certainly demand for, particularly on the consumer side. And then as, as everyone has that challenge when they're getting a new idea off the ground, sort of creating the sense of urgency to get, in our case, the property manager, the customer to buy. And so um, right now, that's a lot of what I'm spending my time doing is, is just both educating the market uh, for, for why they should look at this. And particularly now, because since uh, Labor Day passed recently, a lot of folks have more time to think about uh, adding new services to the way they um, offer people uh, booking online. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, we're, we're certainly hitting the pavement hard with talking to, to prospective property managers leading up to our launch. But but once we we're starting to onboard customers and, and we're starting to, to get approach sort of a critical mass, um, thankfully, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to scale this without having to add a, quite a few headcount. But but I am confident, despite being in Columbus, I actually think there's great access to the types of folks that I'm going to need here, because I am a believer that when you can have people work together in the same office, I mean, there's all types of benefit synergies that come with it. So. Yeah, it's um, hard to manage a manage a culture. Have one uh, like you were saying, everybody's on the same page, the same value. That takes a lot of communication. Uh, so you mentioned uh, getting on on Zoom frequently with your offshore team. Uh, it yep. just uh, uh, it just has to do with uh, how much you communicate with your team. Then, huh? I believe so. I mean, I've always been a big believer, and you can't over communicate. I mean, there's just way too many things that get lost in translation or. Um, or just may sure. get missed if you just assume that people understand everything at face value. So, so I'm a huge believer in, in having very open, ready communication. I mean, obviously, this is why tools like Slack, Microsoft Teams, um, you know, Zoom calls, all these things make it really easy to, you know, create that in-person experience as best you can when you when you have a portion of the team that's not in the office. Um, but no, we'll we'll continue to to over communicate those things because. You know, it's easier in a way when we're going after a single market with a single product. It's it's when we start offering and expanding into some of these other verticals where some of the dynamics will be slightly different that we're going to definitely have to bring in uh, expertise to to help us tackle those markets. Um, and then it, it will take some different perspectives. I'll, I'll sure. see what I can do at that time. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you on before the IPO. For sure. Absolutely. I would appreciate that. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Matt Golis, the founder and CEO of Stretchbill. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news. And thank you for listening.